This morning, uh, the first of uh, a five-week little mini-series looking at parables. don't know if you have spent much time thinking about what parables are, uh, what function they perform. Maybe you're not even sure what a parable is, but we're going to have a look. Uh, this morning, I'm going to particularly help us to just do a bit of an overview of the parables in general, understanding how they work, and then we're going to spend four weeks in the mornings um, looking at the different soils in the parable of the sower. It's a very familiar parable, but rather than rushing through it, we're going to look and break it down into four different talks, and I hope that it will help each of us, um, because the parable of the sower really is a a picture of all the other parables. Um, So do, if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. It's page 1005, if you've got a blue church Bible. And I'm going to read um, a slightly longer reading this morning, uh, the whole of this parable and some of the words beyond it, just to help us to get in to this really important story. And um, then I'm going to take a a little bit of it to look at with us this morning. So it's Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in on it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that... They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where they hear the word, And where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it though, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they had no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life... The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Uh, Those four pictures, I've been thinking about um, different mistakes that people can make when they think or talk about Jesus. And those four pictures, I hope, illustrate these mistakes that people can make. Uh, I know I've made all these mistakes at different times in my life. So let me explain them. The first picture there is this tiger in a zoo. Often we like to think of Jesus as this kind of beautiful person. And we like to talk about him. But we don't want to get too close. And it's kind of nice that there's a bit of a, a barrier between us and him. Uh, If you um, can cast your mind back to the 1980s and 90s, you might have remembered the Jesus Seminar. Uh, It was later reworked as the Jesus Project in 2008-2009. Basically what happened were there were 150 so-called scholars who wanted to kind of um, reconstruct the life of Jesus. And what they did is they got 500 different possible statements about Jesus, and they all had to vote on whether they thought the statements were true. And on the basis of that, they apparently very helpfully reconstructed Jesus for us. Uh, They seem to fail to understand that if they had just looked in the Bible, they'd understand exactly what Jesus was like. But this is the Jesus project that took place in the 80s and 90s. Often, that's a mistake we make about him. We like to keep him at a bit of a distance. And he might be this beautiful person, but as long as there's a bit of a barrier between us and him, we're very happy talking about him, but we don't really want to get too close. Another mistake people make is that depicted in that sort of fuzzy depiction, a man or a woman in the background. You can't really make him out clearly. And some people like to think of Jesus a bit like that. I know he's this guy, and I can know something about him, but I can't really have ever, ever have real clarity about him. It's always going to be a little bit vague, and I might have my understanding of Jesus, and you might have yours, and, well, it's okay. But we can continue being a bit vague. The problem with that is that Uh, Jesus himself doesn't allow room for that kind of an option. He doesn't allow room for idle curiosity. Because as we're seeing in our passage this morning and in subsequent weeks, his words divide, his words challenge. It's not possible to really hear his words and then just to be ambivalent. Uh, You might know the famous quote of C.S. Lewis who said that a man who makes the kind of claims Jesus makes is either mad, he's out of his mind, or he's bad, he's out to deceive you, Or he's God. There's no other option. So that's a second mistake we can make. Third uh, mistake is to kind of compartmentalize uh, God and put him into a part of our life, but not let him be Lord of all of our life. You might know the film about a boy that came out in 2002. Uh, Well, Hugh Grant there plays the the bachelor, Will, who um, sort of befriends this young boy and 
Um, he's a bit of a hopeless bachelor, really, but there's a really funny uh, phrase in one of the opening scenes where Will talks about life as a bachelor, and he divides his life up into segments of time. He says this, uh, I find the key, you, this, this might even be true for you, perhaps worrying if it is, but he says, I find the key to think about a day as units of time, each unit consisting of no more than 30 minutes. Full hours can be a little bit intimidating, and most activities only take half an hour. Take a bath, one unit. Watching countdown, one unit. Web-based research, two units. Exercising, three units. Having my hair carefully disheveled, four units. It's amazing how the day just fills up. Will like to kind of break his day down into little segments. And I so often think that we think of Jesus a bit like that. We, kind of, we don't mind having him as part of our life, perhaps the Sunday bit. But the rest of the time, we're not really interested in him. And we have Jesus for a bit of our life when it's convenient to us. But Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, particularly in our jobs and our home lives, we don't want him to have an influence. Or we don't think that he can make a difference. It's making the same mistake that Will made in About a Boy, breaking his life up into little segments. And the third mistake is what I call the yes but syndrome. You might recognize that little boy who's grown up a little bit. Uh, I used to love going on adventures when I was at home. Uh, Often my adventures um, were only into the back garden, but it felt like I was trekking through the Amazon. Uh, I used to spend hours getting all my kit together, and you can see it there. I have no idea what I've got in the bag. But I used to love going on these amazing adventures about 10 meters behind the house. Uh, The thing is, I could never go on an adventure unless I was prepared. I had to have my kit with me. I had to have emergency rations with me. I had to have um, a flint so I could make a fire. I didn't know how to make a fire. At the time, I didn't even know what the flint did, but I had to have it. But when I went on my adventures, I couldn't just go. I always had to have equipment with me. I had to be prepared. And sometimes when it comes to thinking about Jesus and he calls us, we say, yes, Jesus, I'll come, but only when everything else is in place. Uh, When I've got my job sorted and I've got my pension sorted and I've got my mortgage paid and everything's in control, then I'll come and follow you, but I'll come and follow you on my terms. A bit like as a little boy, I would only go on an adventure when I felt I was ready. But the problem with that is it it means that I'm in control. It's not God who's in control. Now the reason I give us those illustrations is because I believe that the parables will help us to correct the mistakes we make when we think or talk about Jesus. If you have a look at the passage that I've just read to us, look back in the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 23. It says, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. And then in our reading, chapter 4, verse 2, it says he taught them many things by parables. And then you saw at the end of the reading, didn't you? Verse 33, with many other similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. So whatever the parables are about, they're clearly very important to Jesus. He feels that they're a very important way of communicating truth to the people who will listen. So I want to ask us just three questions this morning. And The really important thing with this very familiar parable is we mustn't ask these questions in the abstract. Kind of saying, did you know know there are four different ways you could respond to the word of God? The really important thing with this story is that it becomes personal to you and to me. And we ask the question, not so much there are different ways to respond, but how will I respond? That's what the parables are doing. They're not meant to be talking about stuff out there. They're meant to be personal, challenging my heart, my response to God. So here are the three questions. I'm going to start with this one. Are you listening? That's the first question that the parables put to the hearers. Are you listening? 
Uh, on our holiday in Norfolk uh, last week, Steph and I had a really relaxing time. And I remember one morning, I was on my own, I was sitting out in the garden and the sun was shining. And I had a coffee and a newspaper. And I just slowed right down. And it was the first time in a while I felt I'd been that slow. And I just listened. And I heard the sound of the birds. I heard the rustle of the wind in the grass. I heard the cow in the field next door. I heard the wind rustling in the trees. But I wouldn't have noticed any of those tiny little details if I hadn't slowed down to listen. And it was actually a really lovely moment, just perhaps for a few minutes, where I was able to slow down everything and just be still. Well, in Mark chapters 1 to 3, the pace is really fast. If you know Mark's gospel, it's based on the testimony of Peter. Now, Peter was quite an impetuous, kind of wear your heart on your sleeve kind of guy. He was a very racy character. And the gospel represents that. It's a very fast-paced gospel. It's the shortest of all the four gospels. But chapters 1 to 3 come really, really quickly. But you get to chapter 4, and everything slows right down. You might have heard of a Hebrew word called shema you might not have heard that word it's a word that means here and it often came at the beginning of all the important prayers that the people in the old testament would pray so this was one of the prayers that i just read um, for grant and claudine and their family hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your strength well that word there here is that hebrew word shema and it, it, it really talks about listen stop A bit like I did in that garden where I slowed down to listen to the sounds around me. And you get it in chapter 4, verse 3. Do you notice Jesus arrests God's people and says, listen. And you get it in verse 9. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know there are two ways I could convey a sense of urgency to you? Because I want you to listen. I could start speaking a bit more quickly and a bit louder and try and get you really excited about whatever I'm talking about. I want you to be passionate about the thing I'm telling to you. So I'm going to try and work you up so you understand the importance of what I'm saying. A bit like a politician who's giving a rousing speech before an election. Or a conquering king who rouses his troops before war. That's one way to get your attention. But I could also speak really quietly. And I look you in the eye really carefully. And I can make use of pauses. And I've got your attention in a different way. Two very different ways to convey a sense of urgency, but they're very, very effective. Where Jesus uses the word here in chapter 4, verse 3, listen, it's more the second sense. It's that sense of slow down. Listen to what I'm saying because it really, really matters. When it comes to Jesus explaining this parable in verses 8 to 20, eight times you get the word, word. Because that is what he wants us to listen to. He's emphasizing it again and again. It's the word of God that he wants us to hear. You know, there's great responsibility when you preach. But equally, there's great responsibility for us when we listen to God's word being preached. It's not a case of just coming to church and listening and if I don't want to listen or I get distracted, it doesn't really matter. God wants us to really listen. And he wants me, when I'm sitting where you are, listening to someone else preach, to really listen. 
I just want to challenge you. If you have never thought about listening and your responsibility as a church person to listen, there's a great little booklet you can get on the bookstore. I think it's about a pound called Listen Up. It just takes you through some really helpful advice about how to listen. It even gives you some advice towards the end on how to listen to a bad sermon or a boring sermon or something you think is irrelevant. So this is useful for everyone, but I really challenge you, don't just think that the responsibility on a Sunday morning is the person communicating. Actually, we've all got a responsibility in terms of how we listen. That's the first challenge Jesus puts to people. Are you listening? The second thing that the parables do, the second question is they ask this, do you understand? Have a look back to chapter 3. Notice how when Jesus speaks, it divides people. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. When they heard all that Jesus was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions around Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. See, sometimes when Jesus speaks, people come, they listen. But equally, Jesus' words can be very divisive. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus entered the house again, a crowd gathered, so he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went out to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Why are all these people following our son? He's just a normal guy. They hadn't understood who he was. And what the parables do is they teach us that we can hear with understanding. We can also hear without understanding. I preached uh, 48 sermons last year. I came, I started working in the church on the 2nd of August. It's the 2nd of August today. 48 sermons last year. Most were here, many were elsewhere. I know that people will have responded in different ways. I know that because the sermons that I heard preached to me, I responded to in different ways. But perhaps you're asking that question, why is it that one person can preach a message, they can hear Jesus' voice, and some people are thrilled by it and their hearts are moved, and other people just don't care? Perhaps you ask that question regularly. Would you notice that the disciples asked the same question? Chapter 4, verse 10, they said to him, why, Jesus, do you speak in parables? They're kind of saying, look, why the different responses? And what the parables teach is that it all depends on the heart that receives the message. So turn with me to chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. They're some of the hardest words to understand and to believe in the whole Bible, I believe. But let me read them to you. Jesus told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Uh, what Jesus does here is he quotes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, and the context where the prophet Isaiah was speaking was a period in Israel's history where they had been persistently disobedient and they'd hardened their hearts. And Jesus again is speaking in a situation where people are being persistently disobedient and hardening their hearts. So he quotes a passage that was spoken at a similar time in a different part of history. What Jesus understands is that when he speaks by parables, it acts as a kind of spiritual sift. Some people's hearts are warm to him and are obedient and listen. Some people's hearts get gradually harder. So notice if you turn over the page, what went on a little after our reading, chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. Jesus challenges his hearers. He says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has 
will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from you. So the question you need to ask yourself is, what do you hear and how do you hear it when Jesus speaks? Is it just words of some bloke that you're not really that interested in, that I might take it or leave it? Are there words of someone who you'll listen to when you want to listen to them, but when the words challenge, you say thank you but no thank you? Or are his words the voice of your captain? The words of someone you want to listen to every time he speaks because you know he's always right. You know that word there, measure, it's a word that really speaks of attitude. It's really saying, with the attitude to which you respond to the word of God, God will measure that back to you. So he's saying, listen, if you have a heart that's receptive and obedient, verse 25, whoever has will be given more. Jesus is saying, if you invest in spiritual growth, you will grow. If you listen to my voice, you will grow. But then he says, verse 25, but if you're hard-hearted, even what you have will be taken from you. Now, they're difficult truths, aren't they? You might ask the question, well, why, if God wants us all to love him, does he harden some people's hearts? Well, often he hardens our hearts because that's what we want. We don't want to listen to him. So he says, okay, but I'll harden your heart towards me and you can worship something else. But it won't satisfy you and it'll let you down. Often that judgment, that hardening of heart is actually with the ultimate aim that our hearts become more receptive to him because we realize the mistake that we've made. Jesus used parables because he knew they were hugely effective at spiritually sifting those who really want to listen to his words and want to grow and to change, and those who just don't care. But let's dig a bit deeper. Perhaps you're a bit puzzled by verse 11, that word secret. Why does Jesus want to speak in secrets? Uh, That word secret isn't speaking of unintelligible, uh, can't be understood. It's not someone, imagine someone's baked an amazing cake, and you want to know how to cook this amazing cake, and they go, well, that's my secret, and I'm not going to tell you. That's not the sense here of secret. You can't know, and I don't want you to know. The sense of secret here is more the idea of a key that unlocks. So in the sense of, how do you bake this amazing cake? Ah, well, the secret is using this ingredient. Do you see the difference? One is hidden, you can't understand. The other is a key that helps you to understand. And that's what it says here. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, that's the disciples, but to those on the outside, everything is spoken of in parables. And that is exactly why we see what we do in verses 22 and 23. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. God doesn't speak in par- Jesus doesn't speak in parables to conceal truth from us. He speaks in parables to engage our hearts, to ultimately reveal truth to us. That is the secret, it's the key. Now you, think, you think about a little present. Why do you wrap a present? It's not ultimately to conceal what is inside. Ultimately, you wrap a present so that the present can be unwrapped and you find something lovely inside. That is why you wrap a present. In the same way, when Jesus speaks in parables, he wraps the parables up so that they can be revealed and unlocked, so that we can understand the truth within. But he knows as he does that, some people's hearts will get gradually harder. Other people's hearts will be softened to the truth of who he is. So that phrase in in verse 12, chapter 4, so that, it really means with the result that. You see, there's great irony here. Of course, Jesus isn't saying, I don't want people to be forgiven. 
Do you see that in verse 12? Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And God's saying, I don't want them to be forgiven. He's using irony. Of course he wants you to be forgiven. But he knows that if a person has a hard heart, they'll hear but they won't really understand. They'll see something but they won't really get grasp what the truth is. And it's in that sense that they won't turn to him to be forgiven. And so this is the prophecy that Jesus is speaking over each one of us. So in that sense, that word so that, meaning with the result that, means that we mustn't express a consequence as if it were a purpose. The consequence of the parables is that some people's hearts are hardened, other people's hearts are softened. But the purpose of the parables is that we listen and that the truth is revealed to us. And that is why Jesus says in chapter 4 verse 24, consider consider carefully what you hear. Two questions. The parables ask us, are you listening? The parables ask us, do you understand? And just to close, the third question the parables ask is, have you responded? It's really extraordinary that in chapter 3, Jesus' own family turn their back on him. They reject him. They hear something of who he is, but they don't really understand, and so they end up rejecting him. Let me read to you verses 31 to 34. I think that's the wrong verse. Let me find the right one. Chapter 3, sorry, verse 31 to 35. There we go. Jesus' mother and brothers uh, have arrived. They're standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister and brother. What Jesus is getting at is it's not just about hearing his voice. It's about responding to it. And he says here, his true family aren't his earthly family. His true family are the people who hear his words and want to respond because they're the people that he can begin to change and challenge to be at work on their hearts that they can become more like him day by day of course to be a sower you have to first be an eater don't you think about it nobody puts a seed into a ground unless they know that the seed will grow to produce grain which they can make bread or cereal from but when you've experienced that a, grain, a seed can become grain, which can become bread or cereal, then you plant the seed. And it's exactly the same for you and me. We can't be planters of seed. We can't share the good news of the gospel with others if we haven't eaten of the good news ourselves. But that's the point that Jesus is driving at here. In many ways, the parable of the sower is a parable of the parables. Because if we can't understand and respond to this parable, we'll never understand or respond to any parable. And isn't that exactly what Jesus says himself in chapter 4, verse 13? Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you respond, understand any parable? So my challenge to each of us as we go about the next four weeks and as we look at these different parables is not to come away with the common application. Ah, there are four different ways of responding. And because I'm a Christian, of course I'm the good soil. That would be very dangerous My prayer for each of us is that we would approach the next four weeks not saying there are different ways of responding to the word of God, but asking a far more important question, how am I listening?
What kind of soil is my heart? Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Why don't you just take a moment of quiet just to reflect on that passage and some of the truths within it. Ask yourself that question, how am I listening? How do I want to listen? And in a few moments time, Helen will come and lead us in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, help us to really listen when you are speaking to us. Please forgive us for the times we have not attempted to hear or expected to hear your voice. Forgive us for wanting to walk with you, but forgetting to listen. Spirit of truth, please soften our hearts and teach us because we want to know you more. We praise and rejoice in you because you're our saviour, our creator, our sustainer and redeemer God. We marvel at your patience, your love and faithfulness as you watch over us, you nourish us and you forgive us. We pray that you will make us beacons of hope in this broken world, that we can bring the light of Christ into people's lives. And we pray that when world events seem uncertain and they threaten and overwhelm us, we will turn to you to find our direction and hope as the one true God. Give us boldness and your grace to respond to events. We long to see your love and justice come on earth as in heaven. Please receive our prayers now as we continue our walk with you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to close by singing uh, the hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, and the verse... In simple trust, like those who heard beside the Syrian sea the gracious calling of the Lord, let us, like them, without a word, rise up and follow thee. Be still, small voice of calm. Great, please do take a seat. I do encourage you to stay behind. Um, do enjoy some refreshments um, next door. And uh, if you're a visitor, again, a really warm welcome to you. And we hope you get to know some of the friendly faces around you today. Uh, Let me close by reading just the first part of Psalm 1, which is really a picture of a response of a person who has listened to God's voice uh, and all that they experience. Uh, May this be a prayer for each of us as we go from here. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the person who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but instead whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Amen.